0: Well, what do you fear the most in the world? A a survey from a few years ago said some people are more afraid of public speaking uh, than they are of anything except death. And uh, I don't know if uh, that affects you, but I I noticed uh, in Time Magazine some time ago that Brian Wilson, uh, formerly of the Beach Boys, says he suffers from severe stage fright. That'd be tough, wouldn't it? I mean, if your job was uh, being on stage and you suffer from stage fright, I suppose that fears are funny unless they're your own fears. I think of John Madden, uh, the football commentator, riding a bus from city to city when he travels because he's afraid to fly. Somebody told me yesterday, some of you guys know John Vassar, uh, somebody told me yesterday that uh, um, somebody in his family, maybe his dad, didn't like to fly. And so um, back in the day, you've seen that little red Volkswagen sitting around Tallowwood uh, back in the day, his family wanted a Volkswagen, and so they, his dad literally took a ship over to Germany, and uh, they got the Volkswagen and the family, and they drove the Volkswagen all over the place, uh, down into, all across Europe, down into Asia, put 14,000 miles on the Volkswagen and then put it on the boat and brought it back and, uh, all the way to the United States. I have to confirm that with John, but I thought that was a, a funny story. One of my fears is heights. And uh, I've done better with it through the years, but the first time I remember it was when we were a little, I was probably seven or eight years old, and we were in Europe, and uh, we were in Bastogne, Belgium, you know, where the Battle of the Bulge was fought and all of that, and they had this, um, like, Pentagon-shaped memorial there, maybe you've been there, and you would get up on the roof, you know, and look down, it was probably, I guess, about three stories up, and my dad, who's, the only thing I know that my dad fears, he's kind of like Indiana Jones, he fears snakes, but other than that, not much else, and so he's like saying, come over here and look off the edge. And I mean, I didn't want to get anywhere near the edge. And, you know, you sort of, through the years, you start figuring out what you fear, and you kind of work through those things. And then uh, we were in New York City recently, and, uh, and Rob Perkins said, hey, if you want to go up on top of a building, just call me, because the company I work with has some buildings there. And, and so um, I guess it's the, um, the, um, the Morgan Stanley Building, I believe it is, um, down in Times Square, and uh, there's this guy named Joe Paglisi, and uh, Joe's in charge of the building. So I called uh, Rob, and Rob called Joe, and Joe called me. You know, I don't know if you, anybody here know Joe. You know, Joe's kind of like your your stereotypical New York New Yorker. You know, he's like, you know, forget about it. You know, this just kind of guy. He says that every other sentence or so. And uh, so we took our boys up there, and uh, I guess it was our boys and uh, Lauren Williams who uh, graced the trip with us, uh, and. Lauren's about five foot two, you know, I don't know, 100 pounds. You know, she's a little girl. And uh, she immediately runs over to the edge and just kind of looks over and she's got her camera and there's this little precipice and she kind of gets up on top of it. Her feet are off the ground and she's, man, she's taking pictures of taxi cabs 55 stories down. And uh, meanwhile, my son is just panicking and uh, he grabs her and he goes, don't do that. And she goes, no, come over here. And he goes, ah. <laughs> and he, she just wanted a picture of the two of them against the skyline. And he did not want to get near that edge. And I thought, this is, you know, we're reliving. You know, if anybody thinks that, that fears are not genetic, I mean, I'd never seen that in him. And, you know, he's you know, 6'2 and uh, 185 pounds. There's not much in the world, including me, that he's afraid of anymore. But he was afraid of the edge of that building. In fact, neither of my sons would get near the edge. I, I you know, went over uh, to my credit and sort of looked over the side. Uh, one in 20 Americans has... Uh, Agoraphobia, the fear which leads to panic attacks in large crowds. You can get that in New York City uh, the week after Christmas, too. And uh, one in nine admits to having some kind of phobia. It makes fear the number one mental health problem for women, number two uh, for men. But for those who are really afraid, the terror is real. And I wonder how we face our fears. I think Simon Peter gives us an example uh, in our second study of him. I'm in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. I want to think with you about how to move from fear to faith, uh, walking on water. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Let's stand together um, and hear the word of the Lord. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land. "...walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, "'Lord, save me!' Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. "'You of little faith,' he said. "'Why did you doubt?' And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, "'Truly, you are the Son of God.' And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus... They sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him, and he and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who were touched, and all who touched him, were healed. He may be seated. Well, we saw last week that Peter's first step in the journey of faith was to get out of the boat. You remember, uh, he was a fisherman, and he was on the shore, and uh, he caught a lot of fish, and then he got out of the boat and he walked across the land, and he left the boat behind. And again, we see him uh, this week getting out of the boat, but it's a different sort of thing. It's one thing to step out of the boat and to walk across dry ground, but it's another thing to step out of the boat and walk across a raging sea while the wind is blowing. And I read this passage and I wondered if Jesus was ever afraid. You ever think about that? And you say, well, you know, that's heresy. I mean, I mean, Jesus was God. God's not afraid. I I'm not asking if the Heavenly Father was ever afraid. I'm asking if Jesus in his humanity on this earth ever looked at something and said, now that, that looks a bit scary. And I, I know um, some will say, well, you know, you just need to understand who Jesus was. He never feared anything in the world. And I don't mean to say that Jesus ever gave in to fear. But I think you would not be human if you didn't uh, at some point feel, uh, look at something and go, wow, now that's not something I want to do. Um, I think you hear it in the Garden of Gethsemane he says, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, if there's any way I can avoid crucifixion, I would really rather not be nailed to a cross, but not my will, but yours be done. So he's not disobedient in that, but I think it's real. Um, it, It helps us, I think, to understand the context. I always love to read a text in context. What's going on? behind the story and sometimes when you just read 12 verses like this you you know you look at it and say well that's the story but the story behind the story is if you just go a few verses back in the passage what you find is that John the Baptist at the beginning of this chapter has been beheaded now that would be a scary thing to be beheaded and uh, John the Baptist uh, is beheaded and Jesus gets word of that right before he feeds this multitude of people he's just heard about that and then the multitude of people we learn in John uh, they want to make him a king And so they're ready to make Him king that day. And Jesus doesn't want to be king, not at least the way that they want Him to be king. And so what He does is He goes and retreats on a mountain to pray. And His disciples go ahead in the boat and they head across the water. And I imagine in that time of prayer, you cannot lose the context here, John the Baptist has been beheaded, and Jesus is looking out in the future, and he knows uh, he's about to set his face toward Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified. And in the midst of that, he realizes Jesus is always more concerned about others than himself. Now, Peter's kind of the opposite of that. He's always, you know, enough about you, what about me? Uh, but, but Jesus is the opposite of that, and he realizes his disciples are... The, the word is, the winds were tormenting. That's the word. The words were tormenting the boat. And so Jesus goes to them, goes walking across the water... Uh, I I think not to sort of uh, be a circus act, not to go, uh, everybody say, wow, but rather to get to them. And the most direct way for him to get to them was to go uh, across the water. And so Jesus goes across the water to them. Uh, They've rowed as hard as they can. They're rowing against the wind. And Jesus gets there and um, he says, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter says, if it's you, then tell me to get out of the boat because I'll do what you tell me to do. I mean, this is very impulsive. It's very impetuous. This is kind of the way we learn uh, Peter's character is. And so Peter, uh, Jesus says, okay, get out of the boat. Peter does. And uh, he walks on the water for a while till he sees the wind, and he gets afraid, and he begins to sink, and Jesus delivers him from that. And I've always read this passage and thought, you know, here the rest of the disciples were. They weren't trying to grandstand. They weren't trying to be showy. They're just sitting in the boat. But Peter, you know, he just has to make a scene. But I want to look at it a little bit differently today and say, you know, it is true that Peter sunk in the water. But at least for a few moments, he walked on the water. And John Ortberg's got an interesting book, which says, if you want to walk on water, first you have to get out of the boat. And I love about Peter that he got out of the boat. And uh, we may criticize him for his little faith, but at least he had the faith to get out of the boat. And, and uh, Jesus, we say, well, Jesus had to correct his doubting and chided him for his little faith, but at least he had some faith. And little faith that's never exercised will remain little faith. But a little bit of faith that's exercised, uh, placed in Christ, will uh, be tested and it will grow. And I suppose the shame would be if our faith were still small in the years to come, if it never grew. So my word to you this morning is I thought about my greatest fears. And if you know me and somebody told me one time, I've listened to your sermons and you're afraid of everything, basically. You're afraid of bees and you're afraid of dogs and you're afraid, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I have a lot of fears. But I tell you, at this point in my life, what I really fear is that I, will, that I will fail to do the will of God, that He will show me something He wants me to do, and somehow, because of fear, I will say, well, there's no way I could possibly do that, and I'll miss the chance to walk with Him in places that I never would have because I failed to obey Him. So I want us to look at this story and just think about our fears today and maybe just give a couple of practical sort of uh, tips about fears. And the first one that occurs to me is um, that... We move from fear to faith when we recognize the power of the presence of Christ. I mean, the disciples are afraid of the storm, but if you look closely, they're also afraid of a ghost. And uh, the word in Greek is phantasma, phantasm. And uh, they're terrified at this prospect. Look, there's a ghost walking on the water. And uh, sometimes the storms in our life cloud our vision and keep us from seeing Christ in the storm. And there's a Richard Lederer lists um uh, types of phobias in a book acrophobia the fear of heights claustrophobia ergophobia that's the fear of work anybody got that one anuptophobia uh, the fear of staying single uh, pantophobia that's fear of panting no it's the fear of everything uh, phobophobia fear of being afraid that would be terrible to have wouldn't it you know if you're just always afraid you're going to be afraid Uh the fear of the number 13 you know how you get in an elevator there's no floor 13 uh, in paris you can hire a fourteenth guest. Uh, to complete your party so that you don't have 13 in your party. Well, fear can dominate our lives if we let it. But I love what Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And I was looking at that in the Greek and what he really says is, um, take courage, I am. Now, I'm, I still am. Um, I know there's a storm, but I'm still Jesus and so you don't have to be afraid. Take courage, it is I. And you know, David wrote in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? For you are with me. There is a power... In the presence of God in our lives. And as we practice His presence, we come to hear what Isaiah wrote. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. So, you know, what do you fear? I remember some years ago, we had been here, I don't know, a year or something in Tallwood. You know, Tallwood has just been very kind to me and my family. And we're so grateful. And uh, I think we'd been here about a year. And they said, we want to send you and your family uh, to Disney World. Is Disney World the one in Florida? I always get this wrong, but Disney World. And so we, we go over there, our boys were little then. What would they have been? I don't know, um, maybe nine and, and uh, six or something like that. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, you could not get a roller coaster high enough for me. I mean, I just loved roller coasters. I loved the speed, I loved all that. I am well beyond that in my life now. I mean, I don't have any need to ride on roller coasters anymore. And then if you combine that with darkness, you know, then you have Space Mountain, you know, you got dark and uh, heights put together, and I almost got out of riding, because we were in line the first day, and uh, Graham bailed, and we got, like, to the front, and he was like, I'm not going to do this, I'm like, good, I'm not either, and we walked, and then the next day, Chase says, I want to ride Space Mountain, you know, uh, impulsive, impetuous, yeah, Chase, and so we, uh, we go back in line, and we get to the front of the line, and this time, Chase Bales, and you know how you pair off with your kids, you know? Well, Melanie was with Chase, and I'm like, no, no, Melanie, you can, you know, and she's, no, no, I got him, and so she took Chase out of line, and Grandma and I, and I remember, you know, riding that ride, and the whole time sort of looking at him saying, uh, hey, I'm here, don't be afraid, you know, and he's going, yeah, and he's enjoying it, and uh, I'm really afraid. Uh, we have a picture from uh, Tennessee a couple years ago where they got us to ride roller coasters again, and, um, and I, I think I learned that day. That, you know, if your dad is with you, uh, you you're not afraid. And maybe the, the, the key, uh, the power over fear is the presence of our father. And as we face our fears, we can take courage because God is still God. I am. God says, I, I still am. And he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In fact, Catherine Hall has counted the fear nots, the don't be afraids in the Bible, and counted 365. Um, and I suppose that's one for each day of the year. So 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given us, Roger Duck has taught me this verse, God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of love and power and a sound mind. That's what God gives to you. Uh, The second thing I want to say to you is that we move from fear to faith when we risk everything to be with Christ. I mean, Peter was always talking, a lot of bravado, um, when he says, Lord, since it's you, at least his perspective is right. If it's really you, then I'm not afraid. If it's not you, if this is a ghost, then I'm still afraid. But if it's you, then... Call me to walk on the water. And it's true that at the end of the day, if you look at verse 32, everybody worships Jesus. but Peter's, And Peter's the only one who, who sinks and almost drowns. But I credit him with this, that he was willing to risk his faith. Faith led him to risk. Listen to what Thomas Aquinas wrote. This may help you with your work today. If the primary aim of the captain were to preserve his ship, he would keep it in port forever. I mean, if, you, if your goal was to make sure the ship never sank, then you would just never leave port. Just stay right there. I mean, if the choice in life is to stay high and dry in the boat, waiting for the wind and waves to stop, um, you know, you can do that. Or you can step out of the boat and feel the exhilaration of walking on water. And I wonder, which category do you fall into? Um, Are you a risk taker or not? Because one thing we learn in Jesus' parables, Matthew chapter 25 particularly, is that the kingdom of God rewards risk. I don't mean by that that we um, should do foolish things or that we should test God but that if we're really walking with Jesus Christ, one way that we can discern that is that we're doing things that we wouldn't be doing if we weren't walking with him. In other words, if you and I are doing the same things everybody else does um, and never taking a risk for the kingdom of God, then that would be a sign that we're not walking with him. Some years ago, one of our ambassadors, I don't know if you remember, Andrew Young, uh, his, youngest deci- his youngest daughter decided to get involved in mission work overseas, and uh, he called her to try to talk her out of it. And she said she felt called. And this is what Young said. He said, I never wanted my daughter to be a real Christian. I just wanted her to be a respectable one. I didn't want her to take a risk. I just wanted her, you know, uh, it's that song that Steve Camp used to sing when I was in college. Uh, some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells. But I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. Um, that is, I, I want to do something that, that causes me to risk. You can spend your life staring up the steps or you can step up the stairs. Uh, It's humbling to realize that while I fear riding Space Mountain, my brother climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, He's climbed, I don't know how many, uh, is it 14,000 feet Uh, mountains? I guess that's one of the milestones. And he did like two of those over the holidays, uh, prompting my father to say, so who's going to raise your kids when you fall off a mountain? But uh, anyway, um, you know, there's a difference between blowing up balloons at a birthday party and riding in a balloon around the world. I remember uh, Brian... uh, Brian Jones and Bertrand Picard, who went around the world in a balloon. Um, that would take a lot of courage for somebody like me to do that. Uh, I, my word to you this morning is the fear of the Lord is, um, you know, it's, it's frightening you know, to, to live uh, with the reality that we're taking risks. I mean, it must have been frightening to step into the water. But I also want to say that it's exhilarating to be where God wants you to be. So one last thought. It's possible to go back to fear. Uh, Peter does good. He gets out of the boat. And then, um, you know, he starts shouting, Lord, save me, which is not a bad thing to say uh, when you're sinking in the water. And Jesus says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I would just say, never take counsel of your fears. In other words, you know, if you listen to fear, there are a lot of things that you won't even try. Um, There's a great clip from the uh, Indiana Jones Last Crusade movie. And I want it sort of to be the uh, final thought for us before um, before we finish this morning. Uh, It's um, that scene where he's trying, he's been looking to to find the Holy Grail. And uh, the last thing he has to do is walk across this uh, chasm there. Check this out. Great, it's a great story. I wonder what you're facing this week. Uh, that if you were to admit it in your heart of hearts, it's something that's a bit fearful for you. Uh, for Melanie and I, uh, as we mentioned to you last week, and um, I think Jim's going to have you all uh, who would like to to come and pray for us. Um, we are facing a hearing this uh, Friday at 1:30 in Georgetown, um, and this is a real leap of faith for us because uh, we, at this point, if we could have what we want, would want to bring. Uh, Casey into our home Um, you know it's interesting somebody said well it's in the hands of the judge and I said absolutely and uh, I'd spell judge with a capital J Um, I'm grateful for the judge in Georgetown and I've been praying for that judge Uh, this week they will decide to continue to have custody of her the state continue to have custody and begin a home study of our home Um, possibility is her father could could be there I mean it's it's a crazy kind of thing uh, but in the midst of that, the, real, the realization that God is in control, that he's uh, walking, makes us not afraid to take the next step. Somebody has said, um, you know, never be afraid to trust an, an unknown future to a known God. And we don't know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds the future. So let's, um, as the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Thank you.